I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. Today's episode, we continue our five-part series on the five desires we all share. Today we're talking about being, loneliness, and tokenism. Hey Matt. Yep. So you're American when you go into the bathroom, and you're American when you come out, but do you know what you are you are while you're in there? I do, but tell me. European. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to episode 14. Hello! Um, let's get started with our George and Jesus. Yes. Do you want to go first? Oh. I will. Mine's a long story, okay. you go. I'll go. So, joy. <clears throat> My joy is, we moved into our new house, everything is completely decorated and Look set neat. up, everything. We hung up all our paintings yesterday, uh, and our pictures and stuff, so it's all done. Which is awesome. My junk is... That I'm very tired. I've been interviewing a ton of uh, continuing previous and incoming leaders at um, the ministry I work at, um, church I work at. And so that's been really great conversations, but um, it's been like five a day for an hour each. And then now my teen ones are happening for my teen leaders this week and next week. And those are like 20 a day, 20 minutes each. So like it's a lot. So and then I'm on a new medication for uh, my health, so prayers for me because it's affecting my memory. So who knows, being tired and <laughs> suffering from temporary memory loss, what I'm going to say on this podcast Wait, today. it's almost like you're pregnant. Almost. Except, except you're not pregnant. Not. You just so, have the symptoms. Maybe I forgot I was. Whoa. <laughs> and then my Jesus moment was uh, my wife and I had a baby shower with our family this past weekend. And it, it's so awesome to just be... Um, to have two families that like get along and really, um, are just so loving and so supportive and, um, all came out to just, um, be present with us and support this new life entering the world. So, um, and how loved our our little baby Hannah is already. So, um, it was just really awesome to see that. Mm. Hannah, what about you? Let's hear your story. So my joy jump Jesus is all wrapped into one story. Tony and I went on, um, retreat this past weekend and we were leading worship and <clears throat> on our treat it was super fun it was super good but there was this teen that I could tell was really really struggling um and I could tell he had ADHD because he's that teen that's super loud mm-hmm. and just distracting and um at many points in the weekend he was very rude and would just start mocking the leaders mm-hmm. and so Throughout the weekend, he kept getting reprimanded, and people kept talking to him, and the adults just kept talking to him and getting mad at him. And I had asked a couple of the leaders, like, what his deal was and what was going on, and if anybody had, you know, sat down with him and had a conversation. And all of them had just kind of mentioned, oh, no, we just, we told him to stop. And so it was breaking my heart because I was watching him throughout the weekend just not engaged Mm -hmm. and having a hard time. And so, I wasn't there to be a youth minister. I wasn't there to be, like, a leader. And I was having a major struggle with not wanting to step in and then step on somebody's toes. Mm -hmm. And so, he did something that made somebody else mad. And I sat down next to him, and it was right before adoration. And I was just trying to be that presence that, like, quieted him. 
and Jesus put it strongly on my heart to take him outside Mm -hmm. and pray with him. And I was sitting there. I was like, no, Jesus. (laughs) No, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay, Jesus, fine. If you want me to do it, he has to act out really bad Mm -hmm. in order for me to do this. And he did. He totally just, he went off and did something. And I pulled him outside and said, come here, we're going to go talk. And so I pulled him outside um, and gave a look to the youth minister just to like let him know. And I looked at him and I looked him straight in the eye and I just said, what do you need prayers for? And at first he fought me. He was just like, what? He thought he was in trouble. Mm -hmm. He thought I was just another person getting mad at him. And I just looked at him and I said, no, 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 no. I'm not mad. You're not in trouble. I just can tell you're really struggling with something and something's really weighing down in your heart. And I just want to give you an opportunity to talk and like to tell me what you need prayers for because we're going to go into adoration. And I don't know if you've been given this opportunity this weekend. And he looked at me and he was like, nobody's ever asked me that before. And I have no idea how to answer. Wow. I was like, okay, that's okay. But like, is there something going on? Is there like anything that's weighing on your heart? And I kind of explained it and he could, he was still really defensive and still Mm -hmm. hesitant. And I had told him, you know, your energy is, it could be really, really positive, but it also could be really destructive. And like, I can see you're struggling. And he stops me. He's like, I have severe ADHD. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) It's okay. That's not a surprise. (laughs) And I just said it one more time. What do you need prayers for? Mm -hmm. And immediately he started sobbing Mm -hmm. and crying. And so this tall, tall boy who had been this like energetic ball of energy and just uh, acted like he didn't care started sobbing and pouring out his entire heart to me Mm -hmm. like thing after thing after thing and he stops in the middle and he goes wait i'm crying and i don't even know your name (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh but this poor boy and my heart just kept breaking over and over and over again and at the end um i prayed with him and then i told him hey we're gonna go we're going to go back in and you're going to encounter Jesus. And he just looks at me and this is my junk. He looks at me and he goes, Jesus doesn't want me. Mm. Why would Jesus want my mess? Why would Jesus want my mess up? Like I, it, It's like the picture perfect teen that yeah. <laughs> like, and like conversation that you want to encounter and you like think it's going to happen. Oh my gosh. So my joy was that I got to pray into his wounds and pray into the, that moment with him. And to just be that person for him that weekend. Because I didn't really want to be there on retreat. I'm tired. <laughs> I have a thousand other things. Yeah. So it was, a oh my gosh, just a really beautiful encounter. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I think that kind of, in some way, kind of segues into what our topic is today. So if you're just tuning in, if you haven't listened to our last episode, we're on episode two of a five-part series. And that five-part series is talking about the five desires, perfect desires that philosophers and theologians have talked about um, for many years that we all share. And those are desires for perfect love, which we talked about last time, um, being, which is what we're talking about today, and truth, goodness, and beauty, which will be our future episodes. And we've talked about the fact that like these things have traditional opposites, but they're not the most distorted versions of these values, these virtues, these desires. And we see the most distorted aspects of them actually in our culture. 
So last week we talked about the opposite of love is not hate, it is fear, and how we live in a culture of fear. And a lot of people are plagued by fear. There's an, such an increase in anxiety and things like that. So um, we talked a lot about that, episode 13, go check it out. Today what we want to talk about is this idea of being. And a good um, way to understand being in terms of how it's our desire is the sense of home or the sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And so the opposite of that would be like loneliness and um, or at least solitude, something like that. Um, but there can be good aspects to loneliness. There, I think we've talked about healthy yeah. loneliness before. Um, there's good aspects of solitude. Um, it's not, you know, a, a negative thing necessarily. But the most distorted aspect of that, and this all comes from that, um, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, mm-hmm. I'll spit you out of my mouth from Revelation 3.16. The lukewarm middle ground where you're just kind of frozen and you have no room to act is this thing called tokenism. And what tokenism basically is, is like, you are the token fill in the blank, meaning there's only one part of you, one aspect of your identity that matters Mm -hmm. and that you need to define yourself completely by that, run into that with open arms and um, make it your ism and Mm -hmm. everything will be fine. Everything will be happy. You'll have perfect community. You'll be totally accepted. And um, we want to talk about that today because we find that's very present and prevalent in our culture. But also it's not the healthiest thing because most often it doesn't result in that sense of complete belonging, that sense of fulfillment that you're looking for because you're a whole person and you're not just this one thing about you. And the more and more we seek to define ourselves by one thing uh, and belong just to that, the less I think we're going to feel accepted and the more we're going to feel alone and misunderstood um, in the long run. Uh, And this is super prevalent in our culture in terms of gender identity, sexuality, um, but also in just the way that we're present to one another, the way that we seek to belong, or um, the ways that people struggle really with loneliness and solitude. So I'm going to hand it over to Jenna. Um, What do you think about all that? What do I think? Let's get it going. Let's talk about it. Um, Yeah, so, so this being, it's our existence, our our essence, our nature. Um, and when we look at how, like the Catholic church views it, um, we have, our root is our creation in God. Mm -hmm. Our root, our, our basis, um, is how God created us in his image and his likeness and how we are sons and daughters of God. Mm -hmm. But when we look at our world, when we look at um, just when I talk to teens and that are going into college, they're just like, yeah, I just, I'm really excited to just like find myself, to mm. find my identity. And I had, I had that, a teen asked me that the other day, like, how do I find myself? How do I find my identity? And so it's this concept of that we've completely lost of knowing who we are because we're told from so many different places and so many different angles that we need to be so many different things or just one thing yeah and hold on to that one thing um bishop robert Barron says there's a cacophony of voices calling out to you there are thousands influences pulling you this way and that what's the one necessary thing it is to listen to the voice of jesus as he tells you of his love and as he tells you who you are Mm. and that's really like that's really easy to say it's really easy to be like, who's Jesus telling you who you are? Yeah. <laughs> but then it's like, okay, but how do I listen to that? How do I, how do I, um, 
lean into that how do i find that how do i know what that means because then it's still really confusing you're still having so many different voices telling you especially the devil telling you um that you need to be this that you need to be that that your identity is not found here and then we get lonely just like you said we have that overwhelming loneliness because we don't feel like we belong anywhere yeah there's a sense that like that idea of i gotta find who i am is like the answer is outside of yourself someone else or something else or some other experience i haven't Mm -hmm. had yet is going to inform who i am whereas like the dignity with which that you inherently were created with dwells within you Mm -hmm. like god's very presence his spirit dwells within you by nature of your divine soul um and by nature of receiving his grace in the sacraments like you have your identity already within you it's a matter of getting more attuned to the interior life than experimenting with the exterior life and the worldly Mm. life and i think so many people confuse those and we're so uncomfortable with things like silence now and healthy loneliness and solitude because we're just so wrapped up in this idea that other people are going to inform who i am other people are going to tell me who i am other people Um, their approval is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And so you get all of these labels. And it's also a result of the fact that we have things like the census and sociological studies, and you have to kind of categorize yourself. And so I can say, you know, I am a um, young adult, white, middle-class, male, heterosexual, you know, all these things. And that's, that's who I am. And yet, you know, do you know who Mad Zemanek is just because you know that? Like, yeah. what is the essence of who I am? What is the dignity that I that I carry with possess. me, that I possess? It's reducing you to token details. Yeah. And that that's not an identity. That's maybe a description. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see so often people just latching on to one of those things. Um, and it's, I mean, we have to talk about it. It's this, this most prevalent <clears throat> issue of um, sexual and gender identity. Yeah. Like... Um, so many people will just be like, well, I'm going to come out. I'm going to say that I'm bisexual. I'm, I'm this, I'm that I'm transgendered and all my problems are going to be solved. Um, I'm going to have a community. Finally, I'll be able to be who I am. And like, if you are identifying in any way, um, like that, I'm not, I don't want you to be listening to this podcast and say like that you're not welcome or that God doesn't love you or that you don't have a place in the church because you absolutely do. Um, so don't hear that. Yeah. Um, I don't want you to hear that like, oh, the Catholic Church says that I shouldn't call myself this or shouldn't call myself that. What I'm saying is that that's so much less than the whole person that you are. You're simplifying yourself down to yes. one thing yeah. when you are such a complex and whole being. Yeah. yeah. And the problem is when people really understand that and they see their identity is rooted in Christ, like the identity we all share is one thing and that's child of God. Mm-hmm. Every single person you encounter on the entire planet child of God Mm -hmm. that will describe them. And you'll be able to know that they have dignity, that they're created by God, that they were created in his image and likeness with unique talents and gifts, a unique mission and purpose. You learn a whole lot more about the essence of that person by that title. And then you can ask them very intentional questions. Like what, what is something that's unique about you? What are your passions? What are the things that drive you in life? Like, tell me about the person that you are instead of just this label explaining away everything else. So to recognize like you carry this, this beautiful label of child of God. And it's not even, it's, I wouldn't even call it a label. It is just like in a fully encompassing um, essence that we all mm-hmm. share. Um, and yet so often we reduce this to one thing. And when someone understands that <clears throat> and they 
maybe identify as homosexual or they identify as gay or lesbian, they identify as transgendered, but they disagree with something that that community or that like political platform or whatever it may be shares as like, this is our value. This is what we need to fight for. If they disagree with that, they'll be ostracized from that community and they'll be belittled. They'll be ridiculed. They'll be called a bigot, a racist, even though they are like sharing a common trait with this group. And it's, it's so astounding to me that people don't see that um, dissonance of belonging. Mm. You know, that like, you'll be, you can belong to this group as long as you only care about this one thing about yourself yeah. and your whole life becomes about that. And that is just so, it's almost cultish. And we do that with everything, you mm-hmm. know. It isn't just gender and sexuality. It's, you know, um, a political party. It's religion. It's, you know, like, I don't know, I, I can't tell you how many religious people I've met, Christians I've met, who are so boxed into the four walls of the church that they forget about the whole missionary aspect, that there are other people that exist that matter besides Christians, you know, and that it's part of the definition of being a Christian to recognize, no, first you're a child of God. And you need to go and help other people recognize that same essence. So this is permeates everything that we are. Yeah. And um, when Pope Francis, back in January, he was addressing um, the community and talking about just this struggle that we're seeing in our society, he he broke it down and he said basically that f- when we forget our baptism, we forget our identity. Yep. Um, and when we look at that, when we look at our baptism, we are we are made new. We are made a new creation in the baptismal waters. Um, and we receive the Holy Spirit, and we become a child of God. We become, we come into that family. Mm-hmm. We come into that that belonging mm-hmm. that we desperately desire, um, and that is the basis, the root that we need to look at and see that. Then everything else can be built off of that. Yeah, and we can because we have our root. We have our belonging where we we desperately desire. Um, whereas, just like you were saying, if you know, we try and belong somewhere else and we're ostracized, we completely lose our identity. Yeah. Right? Where you can't be ostracized, you can't be, like, kicked out necessarily uh, from the family of God. You can remove yourself, you can step away, but you will always be able to come back. You will always be able to um, enter back into that family and come back to that family. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, it's kind of on my heart too to, like, recognize also that there are people out there who maybe grew up in a religious tradition and grew up in a very conservative family and then maybe they started identifying a certain way that was in contradiction to those maybe values they were brought up with and they for the first time in their life they were feeling accepted and welcomed by the lgbt community or um Mm -hmm. being accepted by you know a group outside of that religious tradition that they were raised um and so there's i don't want to belittle those groups in a sense and say they they don't give that sense of belonging but i i would be hesitant to say that they give it to its fullest extent because our fullest sense of belonging comes from a recognition that we are a whole person and you will not find any political um ideological any type of movement besides a religious one, specifically in our context, Christianity, not that other religious traditions don't do this, but who recognize that you are not just 
you a part of you. You are the sum of your parts. You are a child of God. And that is the most important label that you carry. But if you have not experienced that in the church, if you experience the opposite, like on, on the church's behalf, like I'm sorry, because that's not at all what the church is meant to preach. It's not at all what the church is meant to um, reach out and do. Um, we're meant to accept, um, not tolerate, but accept, welcome, invite, um, allow the love of God to permeate every single heart on this planet. Yeah. And if you haven't experienced that just because um, you feel like there's one part of you that um, God may not love, or there's one part of you that you feel like the church won't welcome, please get that that myth, that misconception out of your head. Like that is something that's so not what the church teaches, um, that you are a dignified son or daughter of God, that you are a child of God, and that the church, heaven, is your home. No matter how you identify, no matter who you are, um, but when you recognize that, it elicits in you a response to want to seek out, what does this mean? What does this mean to be a child of God? And I think that's where people find a difficulty with maybe living out their faith and also identifying a certain way. There's this tension that exists there that eventually they're going to have to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's this this way of understanding things like um, um, identifying as gay or lesbian or um, being transgendered. And um, a religious tradition being two things in your life and being seen as only having two options. You know, I have to hide in the closet and stick to my religious tradition out of fear that everyone will be bigoted against me. Or I have to run into this uh, new sense of identity and embrace it fully and completely abandon um, the religious upbringing I have. But there's a third way, and that's a way that the church, the Catholic church, always um, offers in its theology to recognize like... You can identify however you want because your main identity is rooted in Christ and your baptism and the fact that you're a dignified child of God. Um, and we want you to be able to feel welcome and um, accepted here in the church. Um, acceptance doesn't mean that everything that you do is tolerated or that there are actions that any of us can do that aren't qualified as sins because we all sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but a recognition that you're not worse than the rest of us, that we are mm-hmm. all at the round table of sinners in the, in the world and that there needs to be this sense of like this renewed sense of belonging in our church or in just religion in general. That it's not about the rules necessarily. It's not about you have to do this, you have to do that, and that'll make you a good Catholic. Yeah. Um, it's about a recognition of who we are and how we respond to that dignity in other people. Um, that's really what Jesus did. Um, Jesus did come and he said, I did not come to change one dot or tittle of the law. I came to fulfill it. But at the same time, he broke cultural norms and barriers to bring that law, that truth to other people. And so we're kind of dancing around that, that middle ground a mm-hmm. lot. Um, and, and it's a difficult place to be in the church, but it's a place that desperately needs to be ministered to. And people desperately need to feel welcomed and feel like they belong. Well, and there's such a beauty to recognizing all of, all of your parts, like all, all of your dark secrets, all of, all of the things that you, um, want to hide about yourself, all of the things that maybe you don't want to hide about yourself that you're just very out there about and recognizing every part of you, every desire of you, um, and, and bringing that to Christ and saying like, these are my desires. These are my longings. This is my brokenness. This is my everything. Um, 
and recognizing all of these things and bringing it to the Lord because the Lord's not going to look at it and be like, yeah, I don't like that. Or that's crap. Or that's really yeah. ugly. Or that's really nasty. Or you shouldn't feel that way. It's, he looks at that and he says, I want to love you as who you are, as the person I have created you. I want to love you and I want to encounter you. And I want to speak truth into every single section of your life, every single <clears throat> part of who you are, yeah. every um, warped desire, whether that is a desire, you know, that <laughs> I want to overindulge in something yeah. or um, I have a warped sense of who I am and I'm bringing that to the Lord. He wants to speak truth into every single part. And the Catholic Church doesn't want us to hide any part of that, um, but they want to speak truth into that. And then that's the hardest part, that we look at things sometimes and we want to um, say, well, I believe in this part of the truth of the Catholic Church, but I don't believe in that. But every single part of the Catholic Church wants to make you holy and wants to bring you to your completion, which is heaven. Yeah. And so that's out of love and our world has warped what love really looks like and actually is. Um, so it can be really hard to bring those forward when we don't truly know what that looks like. Yeah. You know, what, yeah. what love looks like, what, um, how the church wants to bring us holiness yeah. and truth. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also, it's a hard thing to see when someone runs into identifying themselves in one way and then decides like because of the permission of that community they have permission to do whatever they want Mm -hmm. you know and you see people experimenting with their bodies in such a way that that becomes emotionally destructive because Mm -hmm. the hormones you're exhibiting to bond to people become um you become dead to them that you build up a resistance to them um or interactions friendships family members like you ostracize because you think they won't accept me and a recognition just as jenna's saying like god sees all of it Mm -hmm. he knows all of it and he loves you and i think so many people if they do have a sense that god is real and they find themselves in this tension of identity and and where they belong they recognize god sees it and knows it but he doesn't love all of it he loves all of me except for this thing and if this community is telling me that they're going to accept me exactly as I am, especially this thing, then I'm going to run to them. But then the second that the faith thing comes back up, we don't realize later on that they're going to reject that as well and try and tell me why it's wrong or why it's belittling or all these things, why it has all these rules that are oppressing my life. Um, I think we've used this analogy before, but I want to expand it a little bit. But, you know, the quote unquote rules of the church or the things that the church asks of us, they're not these oppressive things that rob us of our freedom or of our joy. Yes. You think about the game of soccer. The game of soccer has rules yes. because it helps you play the game well. Gosh, how crazy would that yeah. be? Yeah, if you didn't have a goal, <laughs> if you didn't know who was on what team, if you didn't know what the boundaries were, uh, if you didn't have a ball, you'd just be like crazy people running around in a field with your heads cut off. Um, and that's kind of what a culture looks like sometimes when you get into the political world. Uh, yes. Like that's kind of exactly There's what we're no dealing rules. with. But in this sense, let's say you love playing soccer <clears throat> and the thing you love playing the reason you love playing soccer the most is because you get to run around and build up a sweat and you get good cardio. Like you get a good workout. You like that it gives you a good workout. And so you decide this is the only aspect of soccer that I'm going to play anytime that I'm playing soccer. And so all you do for your team is run around on the field. You never touch the ball. You never score a goal. You don't care about the boundaries. You do whatever you want, but you're just running. Someone's going to come along one day and be like, you know what you should do? You should probably be a track and field player. You know, and so you're gonna be like, oh, yes, awesome, cool, sounds good. And so you'll start playing track and field, and you'll be running around this track, and that's all you're doing. And then suddenly, all the other things 
like don't matter anymore. Like this is all that it is. You're running around the track and you've lost the game. Like there's the no game of soccer. That, yeah. There's no there's no um you miss the scoring, you miss the actual game and you realize like am I playing I thought I was playing soccer. Wait, no, I'm playing track and field. I don't know if you get this analogy, but like that's how our life is. It's like we're given this whole game of life and we're given these rules or these um opportunities by the church to be free if we abide by these different things but if we decide no i just want to do this one thing and do it however i want then it's like we're trying to be a track and field star in a soccer game and it's eventually people we're gonna have people get mad at us we're gonna have people you know try and kick us out of the game and very rarely will someone come over and be like hey like why are you just running you know like and have that conversation with us and that's exactly the tension we experience in the church is so many people um get really mad and really passionate about this issue and really like want to make sure that the church is saying exactly what it needs to say every time it's proclaiming a truth about sexuality or gender uh we get people who just want to be like oh let him run he's not hurting anybody like um you know we can play the game they don't have to play the game like we'll still have fun and um and that isn't, wouldn't work in a real soccer game, you know. There's a reason why they stop the game when there's, like, a streaker running around doing whatever they want, you know. Um, Don't be that streaker. Yeah, but there's rules for a reason. Um, you know, there, there's a certain way that the game is meant to be played, that life is meant to be lived. Yeah. Because we see inherently that we have these desires for perfect love, being, truth, goodness, and beauty. And when they go unfulfilled then there's this tension, there's this sense of longing, and we all share that. And so what the church does is it tries to tap into those things and say, hey, you know what's going to get you to these five perfect things in your life? Is if you live your life in this moral way. And here's how we suggest, based on thousands of years of wisdom, the revelation of God through Jesus Christ and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this is how we say that that should be done. Mm -hmm. Not because we want to oppress you, but because we want you to be truly free. free. There's a reason why... You tell your kid when they're growing up, don't put your hand on the oven when it's red. It's not because you're oppressing the child because you don't want them to experience Stop the use of the oven. Me. It's because you don't want them to get burned, you know? And yeah. we see time after time, study after study, um, that the people who just dive into their sexuality and say, I'm going to do whatever I want, I'm going to explore my sexuality as much as I want. Um, they end up with a higher risk of suicide and depression, mm-hmm. end up with a higher risk of um, exposure to STDs, mm-hmm. a higher risk of drug and alcohol abuse, um, and a, a much higher percentage of not being fulfilled or happy in their relationships, mm-hmm. or having lasting marriages, or families, um, or being able to hold down a job. Like all these different things, they coalesce, they relate because yeah. our belonging is our essence. It's everything. And you won't hear that in society because we romanticize these things. Mm-hmm. We make these things. Um, way way more glamorized and way more beautiful than they truly actually are because satan is working and and doing his job well um and you know sometimes those voices are so much louder than the voices of truth because they're screaming (laughs) you know but i was thinking while you were talking about um the soccer game and the church is that we all this is also the family like the family component very much so Mm -hmm. And we are, the church is the family and parents and siblings would not let you go run face first off a cliff. Yeah. Right. Family would stop you and say, Hey, that's going to hurt you. That's not smart. Don't yeah. do that. And this is why oftentimes we don't get the, this is why conversation. We yeah. just get that. Don't do that. That's bad. Yeah. Um, so it's 
it is more harmful than good, but your family does not want you to fall into sin. Your family does not want you to feel unfulfilled. Your family does not want you to feel lonely, and your family does not want to feel you to feel unloved. So sometimes people's voices are a little bit louder than others or people that shouldn't be talking, like Aunt Sue. You know, everybody has Aunt Sue who should probably just not open their mouth. <laughs> um, sometimes that Aunt Sue is <laughs> somebody that you encounter at church. But coming from Matt and I, we love you. We want you to feel loved. We want you to feel fulfilled. But there, God sees you and loves you, but he doesn't love your sin. And that is a very distinct yeah. thing. And different. He loves you even in your sin. Yes. But he loves you so much he wants you to be free of it. Yes. And that's why these things that the church recommends to us the church says like this is what it means to live a fulfilled life this is what it means to be a christian someone who follows christ who wants to give you heaven everything this is what it looks like Mm -hmm. you know instead of saying you have to do this or you're going to hell Mm -hmm. um that the church doesn't say that you know it's not the ministry of the church the reality of sin is that we can reject god so much in life that he's going to respect our decision in death and allow us to reject him in death but he's not up there with like a, well, you didn't check these boxes, so push the button, you fall through the floor, buy, uh, do not pass go, do not collect $200, see and ever. You know, like that's yeah. not the God that we have. And I think that's so often the God that people picture and um, a recognition of the fact that like you all belong. Everyone, everyone listening to this podcast, everyone that you encounter every single day, even the people that irritate you the most. Oh, man. We all belong <laughs> in heaven together. Yeah. And God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. He's not giving you permission to completely wreck your life by diving into sin. Um, and that could be any sin. We're not talking about um, just things that have to do with gender or sexuality. Um, talking about anything. you know. But there's a reason why the church professes certain things to not be good for us. Because they're proven time and time again to not be good for us. And you know, if you want to get this idea of like love and relationships... And sexuality, go back and listen to episode four, our episode on dating, um, because we talk in there about the fact that like love does not equal sex or sexuality. Yeah. That love is bigger than that. It's sacrificial. Mm-hmm. And it's about um, a willing of the goodness of the other. And if there is a certain lifestyle or behavior or a running into a certain sense of belonging that causes you more depression, more suicide, more STDs, more drug abuse, more alcohol abuse, higher rates of poor relationships, higher rates of divorce, higher rates of job loss, like all these different things then the church who loves you is going to say, hey, let's take a second and think about the fact that, like, what does love really look like? And that doesn't seem to be a very loving life for yourself. Um, Why don't we look at the fact that love is bigger than that, it's sacrificial, and it's not just about this one thing. Uh, I think that's where the disparity is with our culture, especially when it comes to gender and sexuality, is that um, this is what I want, this is what's going to make me happy, and what happens when you can no longer have sex? What happens when that becomes not a reality for you? Uh, maybe not. Op- you don't have the opportunity, A, but B, there's going to come a point in your life, newsflash, I don't know if you ever thought about this, where you will be unable to do that anymore. It's just old age. And so, or surgery, or accidents, or anything, like yeah. health problems, like that's a reality. And it's something that a lot of people don't think about. And if that's all that your idea of love and fulfillment is about, is exploring your sexual identity, then you're going to get to a point in your life when that is no longer pleasurable, possible, or part of the picture. Mm-hmm. And what does love look like then? Mm-hmm. And so to recognize the, the way that you will feel love the most in your life 
is a recognition and embracing of the fact that you are a child of God. And so I think this can also inform the sense of um, um, shifting a little bit. Um, and Jenny, you can add something about this still if you want to after. But I want to shift a little bit and talk about just this sense of belonging in general. Yeah, I like was and sense of like um, loneliness. Um, yep. You know, there's such a prevalency of loneliness. A sense of non-being, like nobody knows, nobody experiences, nobody cares what I'm going through, nobody mm-hmm. understands. I think that's also very prevalent in our culture, and um, and really that there can be healthy types of loneliness, healthy types of solitude. But I think that we get into this habit of feeling like loneliness is bad because we're looking for that token idea that like you were saying that glamorized idea of a friendship or relationship and we're just looking for that one thing dive into that 100 percent. if i find my mr and mrs right they're going to be my messiah they're going to save me and nothing else matters and that also is tokenism in a sense because your identity is then becoming rooted in a friendship or relationship and it's not applied to your whole life and you can feel in that moment very lonely Mm -hmm. but there's a healthy side to loneliness and solitude so let's talk about that yeah well i was uh, really really quick um, because we talked a lot about, uh, like sexual identity, but identity can be with, if you identify too much with your school, like, and you are that person, you, you're the, I'm trying to think of a school or like, a you know, like it's all about USC, Thank UCLA, you, Thank you, you know, yes. like you, you go all the way in and you, that is you, like yeah. that is your identity. You are a USC fan. Yeah. Um, or the colors blue and gold are not allowed in this house. You know, it's yeah. like, wow, you're really shaping your life around these colors. Like, that's yeah. insane. Or if you are, you know, pursuing to be a doctor and that is who you are. You are a doctor. Yeah. Or if you're in a relationship and that is your identity. And then these things fall apart and then you are at a loss and you feel alone. You feel broken. And you just, um, there's nothing. You have no foundation. You have no place. And so then we fall into, yes, this loneliness and this brokenness. Um, Plus, like, every single other identity has an expiration date. Yes, that was the other. Yeah. You know? Like, wherever you go to school, whatever your job is, whatever that relationship is, it ends. that will end. And what are you left with? The only eternal identity is the fact and the recognition that you're a child of God. And so that's why I think it's so logical to look at that and run toward that and say, this is what I want my identity to be about because no matter what happens in life Mm -hmm. or in death, I know who I am Mm -hmm. and I know whose I am. Mm -hmm. And that can bring a lot of stability and fulfillment in life and can root you in really good things and help you to have healthy relationships where, you know, you may find that when you start a relationship or a friendship, you dive in really quick and you trust too soon and you're like, I want this person to know everything about me and uh, then everything will be great and we'll be best friends. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that doesn't work. You know, um, you, you just get too close too quick and then you start learning about each other and then you're like, wait a minute. Like, and then you either have to make compromises or now this person knows all your secrets and then suddenly you have to end this relationship and it can get really messy. Well, and when we, when we witness this happening in our life, when we witness this expiration date happening so often to us... It leaves a lot of wounds, and then we place that expiration date on God, and we place that expiration date on our dignity, and we place it on our worth, and we place it on our identity, and we think that those things are going to end, that God doesn't truly love us after this date, after this encounter, after this moment in our lives, and so then we we see how um, we can question our worth, we can see how we can question our identity and where that comes from, because we think that we can lose it, we think that... It is something that will end. And then we lose our trust in God. 
which yeah. is very easy to do because we're human and <laughs> it's what we experience and encounter in every other area of our life. So then we just sit there and we, we wait and we're like, all right, God, when are you going to, when, when, <laughs> like, yeah. when is it going to happen to me? And I think St. Faustinus says it really well. A humble soul does not trust itself, but places all confidence, confidence in God that, um, when we witness everything else falling apart, when we witness our expiration dates coming to an end, um, we can know and we have to place our trust that God won't end. Hmm. That that um, identity is going to stay rooted in us no matter what. That that place that we have in heaven, he wants us there. And that's not going to change. Yeah. His desire for us is going to be unchanging and stay the same. Um, but it takes that trust. Even when we don't fully believe that truth, mm-hmm. we have to just fall into the trust of God. And that's yeah. super hard. <laughs> yeah. I think it's funny that, you know, I think like the five biggest stressors in life are like um, family change. So like marriage or having a baby. Yeah. Um, job change. Um, education change. So you're starting or finishing school, um, transitioning into that. Um I forgot what the other one was. Um, a death, having a death in the family. Um, what did I say? Family. Job. Job. School. Oh, and then a geographical change, like oh. you're moving. Um, all of those things have to do with an expiration date. Like yeah. something's ending. Yeah. And if we get so wrapped up in the particular of life, that can feel like the end of the world. Whereas like, if we're really rooted in the sense that our identity is rooted in Christ, then the biggest stressors in life would be like, near occasions of sin, dark nights of the soul, you know, but like, that's not even part of the language. You know, those things we sometimes just relegate to happening as a result of being so stressed and overwhelmed by the things, the tasks, the expiration dates of life that we don't really get rooted enough in our prayer to allow it to sustain those things that stress us. And we live in such a merit based and achievement based world that I totally agree with what you said that like, if one thing doesn't go well or something is over or ends or goes especially the way that we didn't think. Like I'm thinking a lot of um, seniors in high school right now, by now they've committed to where they're going to school. Oh my gosh. And a lot of them probably, uh, their plans were not fulfilled. That no, they ho- Their hopes yeah. and plans were not fulfilled. And it's very easy if your identity, your hopes are all rooted in that one thing to then feel like I've failed. And because the world is all about achievement, and God created the world. God sees me as a failure. God doesn't love me. And it's this very subconscious linking of ideas that can happen. But so many of us feel that. Yeah. Um, we, li- we, we, we forget that we can't earn God's love. Yeah. And in an earning-based world, in a merit-based world, it's really hard right. to be reminded of that. Especially in moments of failure. Uh, or perceived failure. When, when our plans didn't work out. We can very much see like, oh, I'm not good enough. I wasn't good enough for that. So God doesn't see me as good enough. I failed him. I failed my family. I'm not worthy. I don't belong. I'm alone. Such a spiral. Yeah. It's such a spiral when we place our identity in one major thing in our mind. And then that crumbles. And then everything else just below it begins to crumble. And there's nothing stopping it. There's, there's nothing stopping it. And so yeah. it's this nasty spiral that I have seen plenty of teens in like a ball mess on my floor because their college didn't happen. And so yeah. now what am I going to do with my life? And where am I going to go? And who am I? And yeah. blah, blah, blah. Or relationship. Whoa. Like I thought I was going to marry that person. Yeah. You know, like um, 
they were everything I ever wanted. I'm never going to find anyone good yeah. enough for them. And it's like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you know, or your vocation. Slow like, down. you know, yeah. Um, you know, all these things, like, it, it's just people can get in such a panic about them because A, we get too attached to our own plans. Yeah. But B, like, we, we put all our chips in one basket and say, this is who I am. When the basket of life is you're a child of God. And as long as you stay rooted in that your whole life, like that's God's plan for you. God's plan isn't that you woke up today at 9.03 a.m. and that you hit the snooze button twice and then you got in the shower. Like he doesn't have like a a manual for your life that's written. He knows everything that you're going to do. He gives you the free will to do it. His plan for you is that you stay close to him in everything that you do, that you are close to him. That he is the center of your life. That he is the number one priority. That is his number one plan for your life. It's not, you know, like this or that. And and when you're doing that, then he will show you where your fulfillment is by sending you the call to this certain vocation or this certain job or this certain place. But it's not like he's got it all pre-planned, pre-packaged. Like this is your life. And I think we forget that a lot of times. We feel like if I just learn what God's plan for me is, it's like God's plan is that you go close to him, go to chapel, figure it out, you know, like, and then he will reveal to you where your real happiness lies because he knows what's coming next. He knows your gifts. He knows you better than you know yourself. He doesn't place desires on your heart that are, that he doesn't intend to fulfill. Mm -hmm. And so go to the person who knows the rest of the cards in the deck. And, you know, if you really are hoping for a certain card to come up, he knows where it's going to come from. Um, and Or he may give you a card that you needed even more and you didn't even recognize, you know. Yeah. So I think that's a recognition that we need to have too is like we, we can get so rooted in our plans and place <laughs> our identity and our hopes and our worth in those. Yeah. And when they don't go the way that we want, we Panic. completely feel rejected or abandoned by God. As you were talking, I was imagining... And I was trying to think of how to make this work <laughs> as you're talking. But I've changed it from a couple different things. Um, if we just hyper-focus, if we're like standing up against a um, like tapestry or like a rug or something, and we're just focusing on that one thread that has now come undone, yeah. and we're not paying attention to the rest of the tapestry and seeing, oh, okay, wait, this is the grand, like, grand scheme of things. Yeah. This is really, really small. This is really, really tiny. This yeah. little tiny thread whatever like it, it might come out it might stay right there it might but like yeah. we can't hyper focus because we lose everything we think the whole tapestry is falling yeah. apart oh my gosh we get like that with sin don't we yeah. like think about all of the good decisions you make every day just take a moment and think about all the good virtuous noble decisions you make every day hey yesterday did you murder anyone no that was a good decision Whoa! you know like <laughs> did you cut someone off on the freeway or you know those are all the fact that we refrained from so many different opportunities for sin yeah. and uh, beyond that exercise virtue by yeah. maybe it's a smile, opening the door open for someone, eating well, like taking care of our bodies, um, you know, whatever it might be, um, doing the things that God has called us to, showing up to work on time, you know, doing the tasks that he's asked us to, um, having lunch with a friend, encouraging them. Those are all good things. <laughs> Just thinking of that one person that's like, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever it is, you clean the house. <laughs> You know, you woke up. You did something. You woke okay? up. You didn't stay in bed all day. Like there, there are. You do not. We do not give ourselves enough credit no. for the good things that we do. We look at the one sin, and we say, "I'm so awful. I'm so awful. I'm the worst. I need to get to confession." Which you do. We need to get to confession to be rid of sin, so we can be reminded of the good things that Run. we do. But we can't focus so 
terribly on our identity being so sucky because of the one or two mistakes we made in a day or a week full of good ones. Mm -hmm. And I think like we need to, if you were to list it all out, you know, the average person makes about 20,000 choices every day. If you were to list it all out, you know, 19,990 versus 10 sins, you know, like get those sins off, but like recognize like you're just scraping the rest of the food off the plate at that point. Like, you know, it's, it's still, it's, you're not that far gone. And I think we let ourselves be more far gone mentally. Um, We put our identity in that um, too quickly. And if we were to see ourselves as God sees us, he sees all the good and the bad. He delights in the good. And he longs for you to be free of the bad. And so to recognize like how often God delights in you, um, how often he looks at you and smiles or laughs or is joyful, I think it's important to remember that. Because otherwise we have the sense that like, our, like I'm never going to get over this one thing and the church wants me to be perfect and God wants me to be perfect and I can't be perfect so I'm just going to run into this thing or I'm just going to be alone, you know, and I think that's where loneliness can permeate too. And so um, there is healthy loneliness, there is healthy solitude, um, there is health to silence and we've talked about that before too. Um, I can't remember exactly what episode that was. I think it was Drawing Near to God, episode eight. We talked Not, about yeah, that a little bit. So. Um, and I think we talked about it also in episode one, we talked about anxiety. Um, I think we may have mentioned it in there a little bit, but yeah. Do you have anything to add? No, I just, I know so often we get the question of how do we, how do we find ourselves? How do we find our identity? Go back to the basics, go back to Christ, go back and sit in chapel and just let him speak to you. Um, because there's so many other voices that are a lot louder oftentimes just because we're not tuning in to the interior voice like you said in the beginning. Go yeah. back and go back to the interior rather than the exterior. Yeah. Um and, and really discovering what God has to say about who you are and who he has created you to be. Yeah. There are so many people I think who've had so much taken away from them. Yeah. Think about people who are homeless, people who are mentally ill, people who are abandoned, people who are suffering in different ways in hospitals and but a recognition of the fact that like a, a lot of those people that I encounter at least are the first persons to see that, you know, yeah, I've, ha- I've been down on my luck. I've had this or that happen, but my life isn't over. Right. You know, I'm still here. And I think for some people, God allows them to experience what it's like for anything that they identify as to be taken away. Mm-hmm. And there is this profound sense of you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, That part of that is recognizing like there is a spiritual poverty that is necessary to experience that completion, that blessedness in a relationship with God. And that comes from not letting our spirit be attached or identity be attached to other things. We are spiritually poor, meaning we are without those things. And I think someone who personified this, our saint of this episode, so well is the one and only Saint John the Baptist. What, what? Or Saint J the B, as I call him. So J the B, um, he was born in the first century BC um, on or about June 24th. What a specific day. That's when his feast is, the feast of his birth. And actually in the Eastern Church, they have like 
six or seven feasts of John the Baptist. They have like his annunciation, his birth, his death, the first finding of the head of John the Baptist, the second oh finding gosh. of the head of John the Baptist, the third finding of the head of John the Baptist. They have a, a very mystical connection to John the Baptist, which we, I think, have, have lost or are missing in, in, um, in the Western church. But um, we know the story of his life from scripture. Um, and what's funny is he's actually not the patron saint of anything. He's just the patron saint of a lot of places. Which is interesting because he was very much like nomadic in his like he went out yeah. into the wilderness, um, and so we know his story from scripture. Uh, if you want to read it, read the first couple chapters of Luke. Um, but we see that in the very beginning of Luke chapter one, we don't hear about Jesus. We first hear about Zechariah and Elizabeth, who um, are barren. Um, Elizabeth is old in, in age; she can't have kids, and so Zechariah, who is a priest, they're actually both descendants of Aaron, um, Moses' brother, who was you know the high priest of the Old Testament. Um, they both come from his lineage, and Zechariah is in the temple, and they cast lots for who's going to go into the holy of holies. Um, traditionally, the only person who could do that was the high priest. Yeah. So Zechariah is either the high priest or he's taking the position of the high priest because for some reason there wasn't one, and. Um, you could not say the name of God anytime, ever. You couldn't say Yahweh, ever, except the high priest this one day of the year when you can enter the Holy of Holies, which they believe to be this day, on or about um, September 21st, the um, autumnal equinox, hmm. um, or fall solstice, or um, um, whatever it's called. So, um, it's autumnal equinox, that's what it is. So, um, he goes in, he has this vision and the vision is um, the angel Gabriel comes to him and tells him that Elizabeth is going to bear um, a child and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. And Zechariah doubts. And so the angel says, you're going to be mute until your child comes. And so he comes out. I mean, imagine these people are always anticipating like that's where the holiness of God dwells is in that part of the temple. No one ever gets to go in there. And then this guy comes out. He's been in there a while. They, it says that in scripture, like he was in there a while. They were kind of curious as to what was happening. He comes out mute. They realize he's had a vision. And so like, there's going to be like whispering and like, mm-hmm. who's this child going to be? What happened to Zechariah? All these different things. And so, um, what's interesting is, um, we see in the sixth month of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy is when Mary, um, is, um, Jesus is conceived in the womb of Mary. And so there are a lot of people, this is just a cool fact. A lot of people think that Jesus wasn't born on Christmas, that his birthday was placed there. But actually, if you do the math, September 21st, which we know, high priest feast where they can go inside. Six months later, about March 21st. Um, and then nine months from that, December 21st-ish. Oh. And so um, we actually have that root in scripture, like that Jesus' birthday very well was around December 25th. And it could oh. well have been that day, that year. Um, so very interesting. So, but anyways, um, John is born Zechariah writes his name, um, his name will be John on a tablet because everyone wants to call him Zechariah and his mouth is opened um, and then we get the great canticle of Zechariah um, where he's singing praises to the Lord. Um, and then um, John the Baptist we don't hear much about. Um, we know he's a relative of Jesus. Um, Mary and Elizabeth were cousins, but the word cousin, relative words in scripture are kind of vague and so we know they were related in some way. Um, and so John, the John, the Baptist and Jesus at best were second cousins, but probably more distantly related than that. Um, but we can't be sure. Um, probably the only other person in the new Testament who we have the story of their birth and their death, um, which is interesting because you only record the birth and death of people who are very important. 
And John the Baptist is considered kind of the last prophet in scripture. And his whole mission, his whole ministry is to prepare the way of the Lord, to be the voice crying out in the wilderness that's preached about in the Old Testament and in Isaiah. And so John the Baptist, in his in the prime of his um, rabbinic teaching time, which in the Jewish culture was about 30 years old, goes out into the wilderness by the Dead Sea where there is nothing. Like it is completely dead. Nobody travels by there. There's no, you know, no vegetation. It's like completely dead and barren. He's wearing camel's hair and a belt, and he eats Chilling. wild locusts or honey and wild lo- wild honey and locusts. Wild honey and locusts is what he eats. Yeah, um, and locusts were very like terrifying creatures. They could wipe out whole crops, and so he kind of has this like almost like shamanistic like, like dude. edge of society. <laughs> like he would be the guy on the street corner today, being like, "Repent, the end is near," you know. And so that's what he's doing out there in the wilderness. And he starts yelling, like, repent, like, you know, and people start flocking to him. And this is what's so crazy to me about John the Baptist is that he didn't care. Like his belonging, Mm -hmm. his sense of belonging, it wasn't the traditional Jewish way. There were so many different um, sects of Judaism at the time, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, like all these different people. And he's just like, nah, I'm just going to go do my own thing. (laughs) I'm going to be in solitude. I'm going to do... What God has called me to do, because my identity is rooted in him, and people flock. You know, anyone else who is out there, like, y'all need to repent, like, kingdom of God is coming, they're like, dude, first of all, nobody's out here, I was just here getting a drink of water. Um, You probably want to go a little bit more north, where people actually care, and they are around, and probably want to stop wearing all that weird crap and actually eat normal food. Like, that would probably freak people out less. But John the Baptist does it, and people come. They flock by the thousands, And they're baptized. And he tells all of them, like, I am not the one that you've been waiting for. But behold, he is coming. And I am not worthy to loosen the straps of his sandals. Um, I'm baptizing you with water. But he will baptize you with fire and the spirit. Like, he is proclaiming Jesus in every moment. That's where his identity is rooted. And so he does that. He baptizes Jesus. Well, depending on the gospel account you read, he's either there or... And then Jesus is baptized and it doesn't say who or he's the one that does it. Um, And then he was, um, he dies because he was um, preaching about Herod, um, the Tetrarch of the time, for marrying Herodias, which is the ex-wife of his brother. Um, And that was like a no-no. And so Herodias, the wife, demands the execution of John the Baptist. But Herod, he liked to listen to John. He was reluctant to have him killed because he was kind of afraid of him. He was this obscure guy in the wilderness that people were really listening to. And he knew he was, quote, a righteous and holy man. So um, he doesn't do anything. And then there's this party and Herod's daughter, Salome, dances. Um, It's this traditional dance. It shows up in a lot of classical art and music too called the Dance of the Seven Veils, which is uh, traditionally seems was performed topless. So it was a very like erotic and inappropriate dance. And you can get a feel for the lifestyle that John the Baptist was preaching against of this family. And Herod is so taken and drunk (laughs) and taken by the fact that his daughter has done this provocative dance that he says, I'll give you anything. And she consults with her mother and demands the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And so... He has to abide because his party guests will see weakness otherwise. And so they have um, John the Best arrested, John the Baptist arrested um, and beheaded. And his disciples take his body away and they bury it in the tomb. And he's revered in a lot of traditional art and, and uh, things like that. But I think he's such a good saint for this episode because he personifies this like, this is who I am. Like, this is who God called me to be. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you think. 
I'm not going to do what the other people are doing. I'm not going to be the typical Jewish person. I'm not going to belong to any one of these groups because that's not, they're not proclaiming Jesus. They've forgotten the messianic promise. Um, so I'm going to preach it and I don't care if I'm the only one. Um, and I think that's what our identity needs to be rooted in. And so your being, being is, um, being is not the opposite of loneliness or loneliness is not the opposite of being it's tokenism. And so to remember that you are not just one thing, but you are a child of God and that encompasses everything and that God sees you. He loves you. He knows you. He sees all of it and he doesn't love your sin, but he loves you in spite of it. And he wants you to be free of it. And so we pray that this episode will be beneficial to you, that you would like it, like it, comment on it on social media, share it with anyone that you think could benefit from it. Support us on Patreon if you can for as little as a dollar a month. And until next time, we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye, you guys. Bye.